0: Hello, and welcome to the Respiratory Care Podcast for 2020. January's Editor's Choice paper describes the application of a COPD bundle in the emergency department to prevent repeat emergency department visits. Zafar and colleagues implemented a care bundle including five components, appropriate inhaler regimen, 30-day inhaler supply, education on devices post-discharge, standardized discharge instructions, and a scheduled 15-day appointment. After six months adherence to the bundle was 90% and the 30-day ED revisit rate fell from 49 to 30%, while the hospitalization rate from the ED was unchanged. McIntyre pens the accompanying editorial noting that the key components of this bundle, medication management and scheduled follow-up are multidisciplinary and patient focused. And while there are limitations to the study design, this work reinforces that COPD care must be integrated across the spectrum from chronic home management to acute care. Interestingly, in this work, there's no mention of the use of oxygen therapy or non-invasive ventilation, but these therapies require much more time and effort to introduce than could probably be accomplished in the emergency department. Tussman and colleagues compared the measurement of dead space in an animal model of ARDS using Bohr's and Inghoff's methods during the application of graded PEEP steps. Gas exchange and respiratory mechanics were recorded. The authors noted that the dead space to tidal volume ratio were impacted by the level of PEEP with high PEEP associated with an increase in measures using the Bohr equation and the Enghoff equation showing higher values at low PEEP. The authors conclude that Bohr's dead space was associated with lung stress over distension while Enghoff's formula was impacted by the Shun effect. Berkey reviews the history of dead space measures initially described surprisingly as early as 1891. He notes that the uh, the animals in this study were hypercarbic and acidotic, which may have impacted the VDVT measures. Importantly, he reinforces the utility of VDVT measures during mechanical ventilation and the role VDV plays in predicting prognosis. Gaspari et al. describe a comparison of high-flow nasal cannula versus traditional oxygen therapy with an air entrainment mask following extubation in a cadre of liver transplant subjects. Using a historical control, they evaluated the incidence of hypoxemia at 1 in 24 hours post-extubation. They found that application of high-flow nasal cannula in liver transplant subjects did not reduce the incidence of hypoxemia after extubation compared to standard oxygen therapy and also did not modify the incidence of weaning failure, ICU length of stay, or 28-day mortality in this high-risk population of subjects. Littleton provides some commentary on this study suggesting that it perhaps is a lateral move to go from high flow nasal cannula to traditional oxygen therapy, but the importance of humidification and patient comfort cannot be overlooked. Yanas and others evaluated oropharyngeal oxygen concentrations delivered via different oxygen appliances in a group of healthy volunteers. They delivered oxygen at 15 liters a minute via a simple mask, a non-rebreathing mask, an oxy mask, and a closed mask with a Jackson-Reese circuit. Comparisons between the delivered FiO2 at the lips and in the back of the oropharynx were made. They demonstrated significant differences between systems and between measurement sites. They concluded that at normal breathing patterns, oropharyngeal oxygen delivery was dependent on the device with the largest discrepancies between at the lips and in the back of the oropharynx seen with the Oxymask. This undoubtedly has to do with the design of the Oxymask which is predominantly um, an open system style mask. Proportional assist ventilation was introduced nearly 30 years ago, but even today, its use has been limited by clinicians' understanding of the functional operation. The Greek group from Athens performed a retrospective analysis of PAV using an algorithm to titrate support based on a non-invasive estimate of inspiratory output and inspiratory effort. They used waveforms to compare these estimates to measures of transdiaphragmatic pressure and pressure time product. The algorithm had limited accuracy in estimating inspiratory muscle effort, a sensitivity and specificity of 81 and 58% respectively in determining the appropriate level of assist. One of the major shortcomings at present during mechanical ventilation is being able to estimate the true patient effort or PMUS as it's important in calculating the driving pressure as well as respiratory mechanics. An estimate of P must that's accurate would actually be very helpful in our understanding and care of mechanically ventilated patients. Zhang et al. evaluated patient ventilator synchrony during non invasive ventilation in COPD subjects using both pressure support and PAV. Using diaphragmatic electromyogram signals, they evaluated expiratory cycle delay and maximum value of the flow and pressure. They found that the excitatory cycle delay of non-invasive PAV was longer than that of non-invasive pressure support. This is an interesting and unusual finding. They also noted that the lag time between neural respiratory drive and airway pressurization was increased with PAV and that runaway was often observed. Shaw and others compared NIV with NAVA versus NIV with pressure support in 40 subjects with COPD exacerbations. Gas exchange, asynchrony index, duration of NIV, and NIV failure were compared between the groups. They reported that NIV-NAVA was associated with better patient ventilator synchrony, but found no differences in gas exchange, duration of NIV, hospital length of stay, and rate of NIV failure. In study after study, there seems to be an association of asynchrony with poor outcome but in a number of studies correction of asynchrony has not led to, to better outcomes this relationship and how to modify asynchrony to improve the patient's outcome remains to be uh, elucidated babick and chatburn compare automated control of cuff pressure in a bench model using three devices to manual control over a 12 hour period they noted oscillations in airway pressure associated with ventilation and improve stability and cuff pressures with use of automated control. They concluded that automatic devices do not regulate ventilatory pressure oscillations, but do control mean cuff pressure at the desired threshold. Organdic and others evaluated the health literacy of first year respiratory therapy students. They used a pre and post knowledge and belief survey and a one hour teach back skills training to confirm patient understanding and proper use of medical devices. They concluded that respiratory therapy students may benefit from a one-hour health literacy and teach-back skills training, and that communication skills training might be an important component of student training. The ability of respiratory therapists to communicate with physicians about the needs of the patient and to communicate with the patients in an effort to teach and educate them about the use of their medications and devices is a critically important feature. Madden and others describe a case series using carbogen for apnea testing during brain death declaration for subjects on ECMO. They developed an algorithm for determining the desired PCO2 goal while maintaining subjects on mechanical ventilation and ECMO. They conclude that the carbogen method for apnea testing during brain death declaration was accurate in predicting the endpoint of the apnea test. This is a technically um, interesting study. Um, in a, at present, a still small group of patients on ECMO who end up requiring brain death declaration. But you can appreciate, um, with gas exchange being managed by the ECMO circuit, that even in the presence of apnea, an increase in PCO2 um, might not be possible. Golba et al. describe a retrospective cohort study of the use of NIV for acute respiratory failure in the emergency department. They extracted data from the medical record of 432 subjects requiring invasive ventilation, a quarter who were given a trial of NIV. They found that NIV exposure prior to invasive ventilation was not associated with an increased risk of persistent organ dysfunction or death. However, in a subset of patients exposed to extended NIV, that being longer than four hours, and then requiring invasive ventilation, there was an increased risk of organ dysfunction and death and in hospital or mortality. This is a finding that continues to, to be seen in a number of studies. When an IV is successful, it usually is successful in the first two hours. If it's not successful, then moving to invasive ventilation is important. Delaying definitive treatments results in worse outcomes for patients. Nunez and Hassinger describe the predictors of successful response to negative pressure ventilation in pediatric subjects with acute respiratory failure. This retrospective review includes subjects admitted to the pediatric ICU during a 12-month timeframe. The study included 118 subjects and the most common causes of respiratory failure were bronchiolitis and pneumonia. They found that negative pressure ventilation supported almost 70% of subjects with respiratory failure primarily due to pulmonary infections. Oxygen requirements were lower in subjects who responded to negative pressure ventilation within the first hour of initiation. This is another common finding among non-invasive ventilation techniques where patients with hypoxemia or fail to resolve hypoxemia upon initiation of some type of NIV are those who are most likely to fail treatment. This issue of the journal is um, full of papers about non invasive ventilation, and we make every effort to group papers on a certain topic whenever it's possible. And the several papers in this issue that look at NIV in the emergency department, early NIV, and the success of NIV with different modes. Um, demonstrates that th- these answers are not all completely decided upon. We also have two review articles, including a narrative review on defi- dis- diffuse cystic lung diseases by a group from the University of Cincinnati and a systematic review and meta analysis on immune and ARDS. We appreciate you listening to the Restory Care Podcast and look forward to um, talking with you the rest of the year. Thank you. To receive the content of this and past issues of the journal, visit our website at www.rcjournal.com. There you can also subscribe to receive podcasts of future issues.